You're listening to the Simple Pen Podcast. Pinterest for business advice that goes down smooth and easy. Here's your host, Kate All. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Simple Pin Podcast. I'm your host, Kate All, and I'm the owner and founder of Simple Pin Media. We are a Pinterest management and marketing company who help you find and convert your perfect person on Pinterest. Today's episode is all about Pinterest images. For some of you, creating Pinterest images is an escape. You love to do it. For other people like me, it makes you feel like you want to throw your computer across the room. Regardless of where you are in that spectrum, Pinterest images are very different than other social media images, and they are really important to create with the pinner in mind with the goal of getting them to click back to your website. So today's podcast is all about answering the most commonly asked Pinterest image questions with our creative director here at Simple Pin Media, Tina. So we're going to go deep into five questions that we get all the time, whether it's in our emails, our Facebook group, consults that either I do or Tina does, and help you really get to the bottom of the confusion and the curiosity behind these questions. I also want you to know that at Simple Pin Media, in our Pinterest marketing community, our membership community, which is called the Simple Pin Collective, we are hosting what's called Image Month. That means we're going deep into teaching and training and coaching on how to create the best Pinterest images for your brand. And that also includes talking more about how to create the best video pins and story pins and all the other pins that you need to create for your brand as it relates to Pinterest. So if you would like to join that, we'd love to have you. You can go to simplepinmedia.com slash collective. I also want to let you know that this will be our last podcast until August. We are going to be taking a little bit of a break just to give our team a rest, to give myself a rest and content creation just a break. And you know, in the podcast a few back, I talked about this philosophy of rest. And so we're putting it into action this summer by taking all of July off from releasing podcasts. But we will be back at the beginning of August to talk all about strategy and the algorithm and all the questions that go along with, is there been an algorithm update on Pinterest? A question we hear every other Monday. So with that, we're going to dive into today's podcast where we're going to be talking all about Pinterest image questions and how to create the best Pinterest images for your brand. Hey there, Tina. Welcome back to the Simple Pin Podcast. Hey, it is good to be here. Yes. And you um, do all the things for us here at Simple Pin when it comes to creatives. And you have been so instrumental in not just the building out of the creative department at Simple Pin, but also helping with the creatives of Simple Pin, which has helped to get more engagement and help to get you know more people into our systems and our programs. And I love that you, that's just where your head gets to be, right? Like you don't have to really so much worry about strategy, but you get to worry about strategy when it comes to images, which I'm sure is so fun for you. Like when people come to you and they're like, what about these descriptions? And you're like, ah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you love being in your wheelhouse of images or are there ever times that you're like, oh, I would love to do pinning 
which is a weird question to ask, but I'm just curious where you're at with that. I know. I'm like, where did this come from? Kate and I are having a review right here for all of you to hear. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exactly. No, no. Um, I love being, I kind of feel like an image scientist, like in school, I used to love talking about like hypothesis and brainstorming. I was totally a geek about stuff like that. And so I feel like, you know, within each piece of marketing, there's someone who that's their jam, right? For SEO, you have it or whatever. And so I think that it is cool because it fills two parts for me that I love. Like the creative component is huge and it's strong, but then I get to like put my tinfoil cap on and start to think about the why behind things working. And that, that is equally exciting for me because I love the whole analytics piece. So, but I will say there are days when you can get total creative burnout when I'm like, just give me a spreadsheet to update. That would make me happy right now. So that does happen. Well, and I, I, you know, this isn't part of what we were going to do in the podcast, but I want to touch on that a little bit because the people listening are trying to do all the things And I think what you hit on of this creative burnout and then wanting to go back to a spreadsheet, um, how do you know when you do hit that wall? Like, let's say there's somebody who's listening, who is trying to create their images and maybe, and we're really hoping as we go through these questions, we can help relieve that, you know, burnout feeling for you. But maybe as they're going through, they're like, I don't know if I'm getting this right. And I'm really struggling and I feel burnt out. What would you say to somebody in that place as you've experienced it yourself? Yeah. So I think first of all, there has to be a little bit of self-awareness there, you know, to be able to say, how am I feeling right now? I mean, not to go into like this whole self-care piece, but really for me, what happens is when I'm trying, I know how long on average an image should take me. Each one's different, but you know, on average, and if I am still sitting with it after that amount of time, and I have no joy, and I'm just like, Ugh, you can feel the tension build in your shoulders. And I say this as a creator, like I love to create, it's therapeutic for me 90% of the time. But if I hit that point, whether it be because of external things in life or other things, maybe there's client issues going on, I just have learned walk away because I'm not being efficient at that point. I'm my, the quality of my creativity is going to go down, right? <laughs> that too. So um, I think it's okay to give ourselves the permission to just walk away from things sometimes and not feel the need to pound it out right there and make it happen in the moment. Because a lot of times I feel like, oh, I have this deadline, so I have to do it. But you know, the work is still there the next morning. And with fresh eyes and feeling good about it, I can take it, I can do it in 15 minutes compared to sitting there for 45 minutes. So um, I think it's just over time, you start to realize how you feel when you're doing certain tasks. And that's across the board. And it's okay to just walk away from it, you know, 99% of the time. Right. You made a comment about time. And I think this is a good, this is an interesting question that we've also heard is how much time should I be spending on my images? And what's too much? Like, you know, especially since we saw this big push with fresh images for Pinterest, we saw people go head first into just creating images and not so much the content piece. Like there seemed to be this kind of imbalance. But I guess I would say like, if you're, what would you tell somebody like, if you're spending this much time on an image and image, you might be spending too much time. Like give you, what would you say? You know, I guess that's, that's a hard guess, but what would you say your stopgap would be like, is it 45 minutes for the average person or an hour? on one image, what would it be? Oh, here's the thing. It is, I wish there was a one answer across the board, but there really isn't. But if I'm using templates, right? Like even for simple pin, we have templates that we use. 
for me to be able to find the branded image that I want, tweak copy a little bit, you know, work on the design. Because even though they're templates, we, I tend to tweak them a little bit each time. If that's taking me more than a half an hour per image, then something's wrong. Um, now, on the other hand, when I'm building, which is a little bit outside of this, but I think it's good for people to have context. Like recently, we just created like what we would call some hero images for your site, right? And those, like when you're building from the ground up and there's multiple layers, and maybe now I'm working in Photoshop instead of Canva because I use both, you know, that can take me an hour. So it, I think it depends. I think if you're using templates, 30 minutes would be a really good hard stop. I mean, I think if you're really efficient and you're in a good groove, it could even be 20 minutes per image, which I know some people are probably being like, Wah. but it really does depend on the person. But more than a half an hour with a template that you that you have that's solid, easy to use, um, and that includes uploading your image, you know, the stock photos that you might be using, downloading, 30 minutes is probably a good benchmark. Mm, that's super helpful, I think, for people to hear because there's always this guess of like, am I doing this right? Or am I spending the right amount of time? And I, I love that you call that the templates. And if you want to get those templates, you can go to simplepinmedia.com slash products. And we will also put that in the show notes too. But we have both Canva templates and Photoshop templates. And remember, these just are a template. So sometimes people will ask us, you know, do I have to use these images? No, absolutely not. This is for you to swap out your own image. Tina's just creating for you the template and the design of it so that you can plug and play so that you're not spending four hours on images per day and feeling completely exhausted by them. Because I think that's what can happen in any type of marketing is we, we become so exhausted with the work that goes into it that we want to help relieve that for you. So again, if you go to simplepinmedia.com slash products, you can find that there. All right. So I have one last question for you. And that is... If you could create an image for content or an image for products, which is your favorite? Oh, <laughs> I know. I kind of threw this one out of left oh, field. That, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I like a challenge and I feel like product images are more of a challenge. A blog post is super duper easy to whip out. I feel like when you're creating for a product, there's a lot more strategy that goes into it. There's a lot more thoughtfulness in the way of design. And even though they take longer, that's an important thing to remember too about time. When we were talking about that, I was talking about blog posts. So a product, a product photo or, you know, pin or a promoted pin or something like that's going to take a little longer. Um, but I like the challenge of that. I kind of like the rush of adrenaline that comes from it. I'm kind of weird like that. So I might, I might like products better. I love it. Hey, and there's no right answer. Loving products and you're great at it. We'll also link to our pin portfolio for images that Tina and the image team have created. So you can see some examples. I use this page all the time in our consults that I do because I want people to get an idea of thinking outside the box of what you traditionally see on Pinterest. So we'll link to that as well. All right, now to the top five image questions that we get about Pinterest images. And we're going to go through these. I'll read them here now and then we're going to go kind of one by one. But the top five questions usually tend to be, what type of designs are currently trending? Uh, what design techniques can get more clicks? What size pins should I be creating? Oh, the size of pins has been there. That question has been lingering for a long time. Um, number four, do I really need to use text on my pins? 
This has been asked by many, many food writers and bloggers. And number five, does the copy on my pin have to match my blog title? All right. So let's dive into that first one. Tina, what designs of pin styles are currently trending right now in 2020? Yeah. So we're definitely seeing a trend, which is why it's fun to track all these analytics. Um, Light and airy, they're huge, which I know is really difficult to convey you know, over more to listeners, but I would, if you can kind of picture light, airy, a minimalist feel, um, very less is more tends to be trending designs that are uncluttered and simplistic in nature. And that make really good use of white space. Um, I think we talked, Kate, we might be able to put a couple examples of light and airy versus dark and moody. And that would be super helpful. But you know, what I like to do a lot too, is look at what big brands are doing. I study, I st- use Pinterest as a user a lot, which I know, Kate, you're a huge fan of, and I am too, because I feel like how can we reach people if we don't use it as, a, as an actual user? So um, if you look at what big brands are doing, they're kind of following this too, where a lot of promoted pins will be, they'll really be just simplistic in nature. It'll just be one really strong line um, in, a, in a space of white space or things like that. But light and airy, you know, we saw before a lot of like dark contrasted colors, maybe five years ago. And now we're seeing this shift to minimalist, light and airy. Okay, so if I, my follow, I have two follow-up questions to that. One is, do you think millennial pink is still trendy with that light and airy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the millennial pink. It's the only thing that won't die. I do think that pastels have a place right now, which is can be different for us because we've always had this idea that we want to stand out in the feed, right? So we wanted those like, bright, vibrant colors. But I think that there is, knowing the demographic, I think that there's this shift over. And so I think, sad to say, I think millennial pink or like your terracotta type feel like that has a strong place in Pinterest right now for design. Mm, Okay. The second follow-up that we're hearing, actually more questions come out is, what if my brand is not light and airy? Um, Do you have to stay very branded colors, you know, like obviously simple pin is red. So is, I guess that's maybe a little bit of a two-parter. Like if your brand colors aren't light and airy, is there a way to make them light and airy? Or should you go totally off brand and go straight for the pastels and not worry about your brand colors? That's a really good question. So um, basically... The style is light and airy, but you don't really have to worry about your fonts because we actually, I have an example I'll share with you in a sec too um, of a client, but it was more in the way of the product photos being shot or also in the stock photos that were being chosen that they were light and airy, which I feel like we all have control over no matter what our brand colors are. I know that some of the branded photo shoot that you had done, a lot of them had that, you know, they were on a white desk, right? Or they had you and it was a very, it was light and airy not to overuse it, but that was the studio where it was shot. And so, I mean, not that we always want to necessarily, a lot of times people come into consults with me and they're like, so tell me how to do my next product shoot. And I'm like, well, it's not really what we do, (laughs) but that happens a lot. But what I, what I usually, my way to get out of it is I'll keep a portfolio and say, let me show you images that are trending. And then you can see if these are a good fit for your brand. So I feel like it's okay if your font colors are not, or your brand colors are not, but you can make really good use of, if you are doing your own shots, um, you can think about like, I know we have um, like replica surfaces has those great 
surfaces that you can shoot on, right? For food oh, yeah, writers. yeah. And theirs are almost like their lighter colored ones always tend to do better. And then also thinking like if you're choosing a stock photo, maybe look for something that's a little lighter. Okay. Super good direction with that. Okay. Number two, and probably um, the one most people are curious about is what's the one thing I can do to get more clicks from Pinterest on my image? I know. It's like the magic question. It's when, <laughs> yes, give me more clicks. <laughs> you know, people show up and I feel like when actually when we when we put together, when we chatted about this episode like a month or so ago, I went and pulled all the image consult forms for the past year. And um, each time they schedule a consult with me, they have to answer three design hurdles that they're currently facing and then three pin creation questions they want answered. And on every single one, this question showed up. How can I get more clicks? Uh, because that's, I mean, we can't blame anyone. That's what we all want, right? Um, the answer for me is always, it comes down to one single thing, and that's to create for mobile. I can't remember. Kate, do you remember what it is right now? I know in the past, it was like 89% of traffic comes from mobile. I've seen over 90%. Yeah, it's, it's still that. Um, I would say some have said 90, but you're pretty safe if you're doing over 85. Okay, so it's huge, right? It's, it hasn't changed. If anything, it's probably going up. I would, I would venture. Yeah. Don't, don't quote me. But <laughs> so <laughs> I get nervous about that. <laughs> People talking about it later. But yeah, so the biggest feedback that I can give everyone listening and that I give on consult calls is that as creators, we tend to forget about how our pins will render on mobile. It's easy to do, right? We're sitting at our desktop. Most of us have large monitors. We're creating and we're looking at an image that might be double or triple the size that it will be on mobile. And then we're so excited when we finish that design that we just upload it, never check it. Boom, we're excited to check something off our list. But I would say that 50% of the time in consults when people... Because they can submit pins for me to take a peek at and give feedback on. we see I see fonts that are too tiny to read colors that don't have enough contrast to stand out against the background or the text overlays that they're using, or these script fonts that are used for keyword phrasing that are impossible to read. I mean, if, if, I'm imp- if I find them impossible to read, then the Pinterest AI visual search is not going to be able to read them either. So I think that if there's one takeaway that everyone listening can take you know, from this discussion is create for mobile, maybe even before you upload it, if it's a new template or something, then upload it to a secret board, take a peek at it on your phone, because those two or three minutes it'll take you to do that will save you from actually sabotaging clicks down the road for your pin creatives. Mm, Very, very good call out. Okay, so then the big question, do script fonts then still have a place? Like, can you still use them? on your images. I'm literally smiling. I wish people could hear that through my voice. <laughs> because I, I feel like if any of the listeners have like listened to Jeff from Manly Pinterest Tips and Elisa over on Tailwind, I feel like they go back and forth on this all the time. And I love those discussions. Um, I know Jeff is cringing somewhere in the world, even if we're just recording it. But here's my stance. So if script fonts are part of your branding, then I think by all means, you can work them in thoughtfully. If the, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much because I could jam out about the personalities that are involved with fonts that they take on. It's really interesting that science has actually proven that fonts can actually elicit thoughts, feelings, and associations from viewers. So 
I feel like to me, and again, I might look at something different than anyone else, but when I see a modern script font paired with a sans font, sometimes I feel like it's relatable. Like it's like kind of fresh looking and I, and I like it. And it's, if it's part of the brand, then, you know, I feel like it has a place, but here's what I would do. If script fonts are part of your brand, use them, but use them strategically. And what I mean by that is if you have a sans font, like I know for you, we have a script font and a sans font. Um, then in it, when I say sans font, layman terms, non-scripty, basically, then, you know, use it, but use the script font for phrases that are not keywords, not key phrases that are going to help you rank, not key phrases that are going to encourage someone to click. So maybe an example of this is if you have a blog title that's, I don't know, like how to start a small business, you might put the how-to, which is not necessary to compel someone to click in your script font, and then start a small business in your sans font where you can really pack a punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think also there's that element of, well, how many words you put on there, right? Like if you're trying to... I see people sometimes adding too much. In fact, that's one of the biggest things in the consults that I do. And I, I'm wondering if it's for your consults as well, is that when people put, um, it's almost like they're putting too much on there to try to get people to click. Like if I talk about it all, they'll be really interested instead of dialing back to just enough and incorporating, you know, whatever font, either, you know, the sans script and the script together. But I think there's an element of just sometimes there's too many words. You got to just tease it out. It makes me cringe. And then the other thing, I'm like, well, why would anybody click through now? You know, sometimes right. we give, it's like we make an infographic, which is a whole other conversation out of our blog post. And it's like, well, why are they going to click? Like you want to give them a reason to want to learn more. So I agree. I think it's just enough. It's, it's a very fine line that goes into, we could talk about a whole other episode about pin copy because there's so much strategy that goes into pin copy. Um, but I feel like I agree with you a hundred percent. It's a, it's a teaser. It's compelling, but it's not everything on your pin. Okay. To our third question, the size of pins and the follow-up to that. Do long pins, and when I say long pins, I'm meaning outside of two to three, do they still have a place? Yeah. I I honestly feel like somehow lightning is going to be sent from the Pinterest headquarters (laughs) and strike me dead as I'm saying this, (laughs) but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, So let me assure you, let me preface this with my going rogue here and saying I think they still have a place or not think, but I believe full on that they still have a place is very well founded. We, we've talked about in other episodes how we actually track over 400 client images a month at Simple Pin on average with UTMs. And you know the data doesn't lie. Within certain industries, long pins are still converting better than the traditional two to three. So I would never create or encourage someone to create at exclusively just long pins because I feel like you could, you know, you could get into a messy situation there because we also want to keep the Pinterest algorithm happy. But um, you know, within when we talk about industries, I feel like the food industry, travel industry, product pins, um, even if you look at a lot of promoted pins, they're generally longer. Working with Erin on our promoted pins director, she and I collaborate quite a bit on promoted pins. And then she'll come back to me after she's run that campaign and say, Tina, the longer or the shorter ran better. And, you know, 75% of the time, it's a longer pin. Yeah. So, 
you know, which is valuable. It's what I love about Simple Pin is that you've kind of created this environment where we're all pulling from each department to find out how to make ourselves better. But that paid ads where we can get it right in front of the audience, the long pins are still trending there. So be careful. I still, to me, I feel like 600 by 1260 is kind of the sweet spot if you're going to go for a longer pin. But I like to, if a client gives me the opportunity, then I'm always going to say 50-50 until we can track it for a period of time to find out what's working. And that's such a great call out too, because what we saw, what we have seen over these last even four to five years is that somebody says, this type of pin converts for me every single time. And then you see this wave of people go towards that instead of really testing for themselves and saying, well, mine don't do that. And I think one of the great call outs, and we're going to go to this with our next question was um, Nicole Minkle in one of our podcasts talked about how for her real estate company and design company, she was seeing the images without text do really well for her. And what I loved about that was she took time, the same with size, the same with even fonts to look at what are people engaging with. And she ended up walking away with something that was very different than what the wave of people were doing. And I think that's the same here with the two to three or versus, you know, the 600 by 1260 is really tested out. And it doesn't take that long. Like sometimes I think when I say testing and people look at Simple Pin and there's a lot of people who work here and they think, well, like you have the bandwidth to do all this testing. It's really not that hard. I was doing testing when I was running Simple Pin by myself just by taking an hour and looking at does this get more clicks or does this get more clicks? And then you kind of keep going down the line. It doesn't have to be super scientific. No, so. definitely not. Especially, and I, I just wanted to add in too, because you sparked something. I had a consult with a woman last year who came to me and she's like, it's same. my traffic is down. Is it my images? That's another question that comes up frequently. And like when we looked at her numbers, I mean, her traffic, when I say down, we look for ebbs and flows, right? It was like... And I asked her, I don't even know what made me think this in the moment, but I said, like, have you changed anything? Like, what is going on? And she said, well, I heard that long pins were where it's at. So I stopped making my two to three. And I've only been making, you know, the longer pin because I heard it in a, I heard it in a Facebook group. And when we went back and looked at her numbers and looked at when she created those long pins, her traffic totally tanked. So while I'm saying I like long pins, again, that's where I'm saying you never want to make a full stop move (laughs) with Mark. You want to test because every audience is different and you just don't know. And if you limit yourself by just, you know, doing that, like cutting something completely out, just because it works for Joe Schmo does not mean it's going to work for you. It's it's just a very dangerous thing to do. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so we're going into question number four, and we just alluded to this a second ago. And I I love this question. I love going deep on it with people. And it is the question, do I need text on my pin or no text? So what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's a really good question. And like you said earlier, I think it's food writers. I think this is specifically food bloggers where we see this. And I And I totally get it because when they come to me, I feel like many food writers, they are shooting these shots and they're like a work of art to them, right? They, they're proud of them. A lot of thought, the lighting, the composition that's gone into these photos and now you're going to put a text box over it. You know, I, I feel it. I feel all the feels for you because I understand and, I, and there's a part of me that loves the idea of an image with no text as well. But 
It's about really, let's be honest, we're all marketers and it's about driving clicks. And when it comes down to that, text definitely strongly still has a place even for food writers. You know, when you think about um, Pinterest visual search, right, that it uses text to rank pins. So for instance, it's totally off the cuff, but let's say you create an epic casserole recipe to keep this food blogger related. Without text, you know, the Pinterest algo is going to crawl that image and rank it as a casserole. Ding, 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 win. That's great. But what if it's a keto recipe? The AI is good, but it's not that good. It can't taste your recipe. It can't know all of those things. And so I feel like, I mean, and even though it is crawling some of the page too, can we give the AI a little help by putting keywords like that on it? And then there's the other piece that, so we talked about the, the visual search, but now let's think about the pinner. So if I'm searching for casseroles in my feed and I want to eat paleo, like, you know, if there's two side by side and one says paleo or 30 minutes or less and I'm looking for a midweek meal, which one's going to get the click? But if there was no text, I mean, how, how can you really do that? So my what I tell people a lot is... Honestly, clicks are where it's at. We've tested this and tested this and tested this at Simple Pin because I wouldn't stand a chance with the food bloggers because they come well prepared to my consults. <laughs> and they are, a, they are a feisty group of people who will to the death fight you on these things. And if I did not have really good case studies, which we've also done a lot of at Simple Pen, to come back to them and say, I hear you. I have all the feels, but what do you want? Do you want traffic? Let me show you these case studies. Um So I think the way to do it, I always tell them, let's find a compromise. So create them with with text, test them back to the testing thing. And then also remember that by having your pin it button installed on your website, right? If you have photos on your in your within your post with no text, well, those are just going to go out into the feed organically anyways, as people are saving them. So they're still getting out there, still make them available. But don't sell yourself short by not having it because in every, I can literally say this in every single test that we did, it's probably four or five food bloggers clicks were substantially higher, especially over a period of six to nine months when they had text overlay. Yeah. And you bring up a great point about the categorization with the paleo or keto, like using that text gives context. You know, I can see a picture of Mac and cheese, but what if it's vegan? What if it's gluten-free? You can't tell that by a photo. You can't get that context. So if I'm trying to eat vegan and I see vegan on that mac and cheese, I'm going to go for that as opposed to the traditional. But I might not click on it if it comes up in my feed because I think, oh, it's mac and cheese. I can't eat that. Right? So it's it's doing that. And I have been using Pinterest so much personally because we're redoing our kitchen. And when it comes to home decor... I don't want text on mine. I want to see that whole kitchen in its entirety. And I want to see the drawer pulls up close, the cabinet. So it also depends on industry. And I think that's what Nicole demonstrated for us in um, the podcast that we'll link to was that as she was in the design space, the text got in the way a little bit. Whereas with food, the text gives context and encourages clicks. Now, if it's a roundup of sorts, you know, let's say like the top 10 brass drawer pulls. This is what I searched last night. Um, I definitely want to see that that's a roundup, right? And I want to go to it and I want to get the information. So you have to be thinking about what is your industry? um, Who is the type of person that's going to engage with it? 
And I, I think this goes a little bit back into kind of that first question of the branding piece, right? Of what's, you, you know, like the person I've used this also an example before as well is the person who is very much like bon appetit or a high level cook loves that very high end look to their image. And maybe they, they might not need, I don't know. I'm not going to say if whether or not they need text or not. But you're, it's just a different type of person that you're engaging with. So as we're talking about this, don't just be thinking of, here's the answer that we're giving you and you're just going to go with that. Be thinking of who your person is on Pinterest, how they're going to be engaging with your content. And if you are, like Tina said, um, keto or paleo or in the food space where you are very specific, you will need to put text on your image because... People just don't know what you're talking about and they might breeze past it. Yeah, exactly. I think about that too for a lot of bloggers because if they just had, you know, a shot of a desk, that's so common within the blogger space, right? I mean, what if it's about marketing? I mean, I know nothing by looking at that. So I totally agree with you. I feel like I feel like it does depend on that. I think there are situations where, well, obviously Nicole you know, prove that too. And it, it does, I know we've hammered testing a lot. I, I wish that we could just sit here in this episode and say, do these three things. Don't test at all. You can always use the same size. You can always use the same pin copy. You can always use the same, same CTA and you're going to get amazing clicks, but it's, there's no, there's no quick way to find success. You kind of need to, you know, put your tinfoil cap on, test things, let your audience speak to you through those tests and then give them more of what they want. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, to our mission and purpose is really to help you find and convert your person on Pinterest. And that doesn't mean us always telling you what to do. It means us giving you the tools to test it and do it. So I think as you take each one of these things, be making notes about what you're going to test and spend three three months or so um, doing all the things and then looking at the numbers at the end of those three months. Okay, so we went down that rabbit trail. <laughs> All right, so pulling us back around to our final question is, do I have to write the same title on my image as what my blog post is? So if my blog post is uh, five ways or, you know, five ways to, or five questions, five of the most commonly asked questions about Pinterest, do I have to put that on my image? No, not at all. And this comes up a lot. It really does. But I mean, the simple re- the simple answer for this is because Pinterest and Google SEO, both, even though they have best practices that kind of cross over, they're both very different, right? So if we're writing a title to rank well on Google for SEO, it may feel very cold to a pinner who's in search and discovery mode, or that's looking for solutions to their problems. So Um, we frequently work with clients, yeah, even with Simpleton, sometimes you have a podcast title and then I'll tweak it a little before we create the images. Sometimes I'll take your title and then I'll tweak another title and we'll test the two against each other. And we do that for a lot of our clients too. Um, because for that very reason that, you know, Pinterest SEO, we think about keywords and descriptions and in text overlays, like we had talked about. Um, but it's also clicks that rank us well. And the clicks come when a pinner reads that title or looks at that image and reads the the information and they feel compelled to take action. Even Pinterest on there, I have it here to be able to quote them on their business page. It says the best pins are visually compelling, tell a good story and make people want to learn more. I would 
be inclined to say that more often than not, I think it can be smart to switch up your pin copy when you're creating for Pinterest compared to just sticking with your blog post title. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Kate? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I was actually thinking, you know, just for those of you who are doing this, what we have at Simple Pin is we have an editorial podcast calendar. And all of our podcasts are converted into blog posts. And Natalie, who's our ops manager, she does the deep dive on the Google SEO. And then Tina takes the piece of the Pinterest SEO. So a lot of a lot of times those are very different titles and what we put there because we're targeting for two different types of things. And we keep them very segmented and separate because we know that the pinner looks at it in a different way than Google looks at it. So having a spreadsheet in one place where we have it kind of, I'm looking at it now, it's broken up into columns to say like what our keyword target is and what our goal is. So that both Natalie and Tina can see that and go, okay, I see that Kate's keyword target for Google is this, but I also see the goal might be this over here. So we're going to create this kind of hybrid of what that text is going to look like. And then we're going to go from there. And that, that I think is how you need to approach the copy as we're talking about text, that copy that's on your image, because it's not... Google SEO is sometimes feels really sterile. Like... There's no personality to it. And Pinterest has a lot of personality. And the people who use Pinterest, especially like power pinners, they are searching for, you know, an hour or so, or they're scrolling through. Like they need something to be engaging and to pull them in, whether it is the image without text or it's the image with text. So just be thinking, what's a good, um, what's a good, text, you know, Pinterest SEO that you can put out. What's good copy to put on there? And Tina, I'm curious if you do this, but I know I will scroll through my feed and I actually go straight for the promoted pin advertisers to see what they're putting on there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do that. And then also I think that I tend to look more at product pins or lead magnets or sales pins. I think more than ever before. And again, I feel like you and I had chatted about maybe having a podcast at some point just about pin copy because I think it could be another half hour discussion. Um, but I like whenever a client comes to us and they they want pins created for a lead magnet, what a lot of folks don't realize is that it will actually sit with me and I will use my marketing background just like I do for simple pin to create for the client before it goes to the designer to create. So I oversee creative stuff, but we spend a lot of time on pin copy and that's especially important for those lead magnet pages. There's a lot of thought that goes into those um and the pin copy, you know, maybe simple things like including CTAs like download a freebie or you know, different contexts that can be there. Like you said, striking that balance before that we talked about, about not having too much copy and giving it all away, but what's enough to make it stand out. Like I will literally, when a client comes to us, um, I will go and search out all of their competitors and see what they're doing for the same type of freebie. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into pin copy, but the point is don't, you know, don't sell yourself short here. Don't stick with, if you, Try to build as much time. I like to build as much time into actual image creation as I do the bit, the pin copy piece, especially when it comes to sales and products. Yeah, that's a good call out too. So we want to let you know that we have a lot of resources at Simple Pin for you that will help you 
really dial in your images or refine them. We know some of you are in a great groove. Uh, This month inside the Simple Pin Collective, which is our Pinterest marketing membership community, we are just deep diving into images. We're talking more about current best practices. What are we seeing Pinterest say? What are we seeing uh, people do on Pinterest that's working? How to help you go deep into testing. And we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about how to really refine it. And one of the great parts about the Simple Pin Collective with the membership is that we are all there to provide feedback. So if you're ever feeling frustrated that you're creating these images, spending 45 minutes to an hour on them, and you're like, I just need somebody to tell me if this looks good, or I just need somebody to tell me if I'm testing right, we want you to join the collective this month as we talk about this topic and go deep on it and give you the feedback you're looking for. So if you want to join, you can go to simplepinmedia.com slash collective. There is a course over a course course's worth of content in there. So we would love to have you. Um, you can join at any time and you can cancel at any time. And Tina is in there as well. Um, she answers questions here and there about images and how to really maximize them. So that's there. And then we also have our pin portfolio of all the images that Tina's created. We have templates. We have an image guide that's free. So we're going to list all of that in the podcast where you can find that at simplepinmedia.com slash 201. But Tina, I'd love you to also talk about the consults that you do, that maybe there's somebody listening who still wants to keep creation in their wheelhouse. What are You mentioned those a little bit and you get a lot of questions and how that workflow is. Can you talk a little bit about what those consults look like and what people might be able to gain as a result of those? Sure, absolutely. So like you said, it's it's really set up for people who still love to create. They've got a good groove. They can, you know, they've got templates, they've got things that are working, they've understood the basis of testing. But, you know, maybe they're just feeling like, I've been doing this so long, I need an extra set of eyes on it. So that's one great thing is that we can literally take, you can submit up to five different images, I think it is pins that you're using, and we can go over them one by one. So that can fill a need for someone. But the consult can also fill the need. It's kind of whatever space you're in. Like we've had, uh, you know, we've had larger brands come to us that are saying, I want to start a promoted pin campaign. And I want to know the specifics about how to cre- create strategically for promoted pins, because it's very different than creating for organic. So sometimes we discuss that. It can really pivot to whatever you need. Um, I had a woman that I met with last year that literally just wanted to talk about pin copy. That's all we did. In fact, afterwards, we did a one-off project where I didn't create images for her. I just wrote her copy. <laughs> it was just like, she was like, I just want someone to do this for me. So, and I'm not saying we do that all the time, but it was a situation. So it really can pivot. It can be what you need. Um, we talk about, you list the things that you're looking for, the answers that you need to create. You know, maybe it's as simple as it's taking me this long. Should it be taking me this long? You know, and how can I make that better? Um, so whether it's creating, whether it's workflow, whether it's strategy, whether it's pin copy, that consult can literally be whatever you need it to be so that we can get you creating in a more thoughtful, intentional way to drive those clicks. Mm. Yeah, you guys can sign up for those at any time. Tina has a select spots per month. So when those fill up, they'll just push out to the next month. But we would love to have you either take advantage of that or like I said, the collective or just looking at the resources we have on the site, like the templates. 
So you can find that by going to simplepinmedia.com slash 201. We are taking a summer break here at the Simple Pin Podcast. So this will be our final episode for July. And we will resume our podcast again on August 5th. You will see it then. Um, We'll be talking about algorithm and strategy, which we know is another big one that people have a lot of questions about. So we hope you enjoy this break in July and you can go back and revisit some of the podcasts that you haven't listened to at the Simple Pin Podcast. You can pick from any one. They really don't go in any order. So you can go back and you can look to learn about anything that you really need to go deep on. So thanks, Tina, again, for sharing with us your wisdom about images and helping us to answer these big questions about Pinterest images. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kate. 